Since 1973, Tattoo Charlie's has been an established body modification studio in Kentucky. Featuring world-renowned artists and piercers, currently with locations on Preston Highway and in Lexington. A staple point in the tattoo community. Learn more at TattooCharlie's.com. Set up your appointment today at 7904 Preston Highway. Our tattoos are done while you wait. Welcome to the Metal Forge. I'm your host, Mark Jackson, and I'm going to be pounding out the best regional metal for you tonight. If you're new to this show, pick up your hammer and get down with some of these featured guests. Got any questions or comments? Send them to metalforgeradio at gmail.com. Mark Jackson, thank you. That was Osmandius by Spell. Wanted to start the show off with a little bit of a different vibe this time. Oh my God, thank you all so much for tuning in. I appreciate it. 
but I'm not going to, uh, you know, spend a lot of time here in the monologue this week. Everything's pretty much about the same. There's not really much stuff going on metal-wise, other than the fact Danny Wilmer Productions has canceled all of their Louisville-based shows. Uh, Louder Than Life has been canceled this year, Bourbon and Beyond, uh, so on and so forth, along with all of the other shows that were supposed to be done in, like, May. Uh, look forward to that stuff for next year, I guess. Sorry. On the Metal Forge front, patches are going to be here soon. So for everybody who's pre-ordered a patch, they should be coming in and I will be getting them out to you shortly. I appreciate the orders and rock the fuck on. Hell yeah. But other than that, you know, hopefully before too long we'll all be able to be healthy and be safe and be back out on the uh, the show scenes, you know. Going and seeing your favorite bands, which... Here's something. Give me some feedback on this. Who do you want to go see first? Who's where's the first place you're gonna go after quarantine? You know, what's your you gonna go to your local bar? You gonna go to your favorite restaurant? You know, where do you wanna go? Send me some uh send me some feedback either on the uh, Metal Forge page, uh metalforgeradio at gmail dot com. Let me know some things, you know, and I will I'll review it here. I'll I'll mention you if you do that, which is pretty damn cool. Uh, next week on the show, we're going to have United Kingdom-based uh, Under King. Max Jeffries is going to be calling in, so that's fucking awesome. Going to be the, f- the first United Kingdom band on the show, whereas today, Spell is the first non-United States band. You know, first international band. Hell yeah. And then after that, on 515, we're going to have War Cloud on the show. Nick Burks is going to be calling in. So, fuck, I'm looking forward to it. And then some more surprises coming up for later in May and so on and so forth. Check out the uh, MetalForgeRadio.com for more updates. Patreon.com slash MetalForgeRadio. MetalForgeRadio at gmail.com. Get with me. We'll talk about some stuff. Hell yeah. Love you guys. Thanks. This is Dawn Wonder by Spell.
And I'm being joined on the phone from Vancouver, Canada. Oh wow! An international first international artist <laughs> on the Metal Forge. This is a uh, oh great Cam from the band Spell. Hey Mark, how are you doing? Thanks for having me on the show, dude. Thank you for coming on the show. Uh, I love the new album, uh, Opulent Decay. Oh, so so cool. Uh, released it back earlier this month. Well, actually last month now in in April. So tell us about Spell and, and about yourself, man. Sure, yeah. Uh, so I'm Cam. I'm the uh, singer and bassist in Spell. Uh, do, do a lot of the songwriting as well. Uh, the three of us have been rocking together since 2007. Um, the drummer is my, my brother, like like uh, like brother from the same mother. Uh, oh. But we're all we're all brothers now because we've been we've been playing together for for quite a while. And uh, you know we we sort of started out playing, uh, you know, heavy metal songs really kind of heavily inspired by the, the, the bands we worshipped, like Judas Priest and Accept and Megadeth and stuff like that. And as the years went on, we've, we've kind of brought more diverse influences into the fold. And, uh, we, yeah, we're, we're really proud of, our, of this new album, Opulent Decay. We're feeling like it's um, pretty unique. Very much. And I noticed, you know, because you have three albums out. That's right. Uh, you have the Full Moon Sessions and you have uh, For None and All. You know, I went ahead and I, I purchased the entire discography uh, a while oh, thank back you very much. and was just like, it's an interesting dynamic because they're n- no two of the albums are alike to me. They they yeah. seem like they've all been a little bit different. And That's kind of been our, been our goal. You know, we, we love bands like, well, I mean, the most obvious example coming to mind is the Beatles, but there's so many bands where, where every album they do is, is a little bit different from the last one. I just, I don't really see the need of rewriting the same album twice. That's not, that's not really one of our goals. We want to, we want to keep being fresh and keep being new and bring in you know more diversity into our tunes. Definitely, um, I did notice too. Like on Opulent Decay, there's almost some, to me, almost some like Cure sounding stuff on there. And I'm a big fan of the Cure, you know. Because, cool, yeah. But it's got there's a lot of I think there's a lot of whimsical playing, and I think it's it's awesome. It, it's like, cause in, in modern metal, you know, you, you it's all heavy all the time. Right. And yeah, yeah, this, yeah. And this is a, a, a nice break from it, but it, it might, well, it's yeah. heavy on a different level. Yeah. I mean, I kind of feel like the heavy parts sound heavier when you, uh, you know, add in some, some other parts, you know, it's like the, the little acoustic bits in black Sabbath, those yeah. crushing riffs wouldn't sound so crushing if it wasn't for those soft parts. Definitely. You know, and you know, being a huge black Sabbath fan, like Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath has a complete acoustic chorus in it. And it's, yeah, yeah I totally yeah. get what you're saying. That's, that's awesome. So you all are from Vancouver. Are you, yeah. are you all from the same area or do you, do you have to travel to be, to play together? Yeah. Like, so, so we all grew up pretty much in the same area here in Vancouver. Uh, and you know, we, we, uh, live close by to each other for years and jam together all the time. And actually when we wrote the last album for none at all, we were, we were living together um, in a big old farmhouse kind of out in the suburbs where we rehearsed every day and, and everything. But right now, actually, uh, our guitarist Graham uh, and uh, drummer Al, they've moved out to Nanaimo, which is on Vancouver Island. So it's, it's a little ways out. Uh, I'm the one that's got to go travel to rehearse now. It's like um, about a two-and-a-half-hour ferry ride and a little bit of a drive. So, you oh, know, it's wow. not that far, but it's, it's far enough that you've you got to really make a day or a couple of days of it. Um, so it's been a different dynamic. Uh, that was one of the things I think that, that that made this album a little bit different. Because for the last one, we were kind of re- together, constantly rehearsing every time and working on it. For this album, it was we took a little bit longer with it. It was more time spent sort of trading ideas back and forth. And I think I think there was actually kind of some growth that came from that space because we were able to sort of you know each give thing each give our own parts more thought and kind of build up those harmonies a little bit better with more time and that sort of thing. They're out on the island. I mean, is it more? Is it more of a rural area out there? I mean, is it yeah, something where you can yeah. you could walk outside and play play the heavy music and just let it ring out in the woods and stuff? I guess. I mean, you definitely can get places like that. They're they're in the Nimo, which is a a city, a small okay. city or a big town, I guess. But um, it's definitely a lot more rural than Vancouver. You know, you don't have to go far at all before you can get to some pretty deep, deep, dark woods. And, you know, we definitely get some of our inspiration from that. I, I get out there as often as I can. You know, you can, you can get onto the island and there's some places where you can, you know, hike for, you know, easily go hiking for two weeks straight without seeing another single human. So, uh, you know, that, that, I feel like that does bring some of that kind of darkness right on. Uh, to the sound. So how do you all write a song? I mean, do Ooh, you- good question. 
that's that's kind of the most interesting question to me, and that's always the first thing I ask. Uh, you know, other other artists when I when I talk to them, a lot of the the original inspiration often comes to me in dreams. I'll be I'll be asleep, and then um, you know I'll kind of just have wake up with some either I'll wake up with some idea for a melody, or more often I'll be kind of in these deep dreams, like a nightmare or a happy dream, any kind of dream, and it just has this kind of overwhelming emotional feeling, and then I try to find a way of taking those those feelings and capturing them on on my guitar. So I'll often be getting out of bed in the middle of the night. You know, like when you have sometimes a nightmare, it, it won't necessarily be as frightening after you've been awake for a few minutes. So I, I try to capture it quickly before the feeling sort of dissipates. And then once we got, you know, when, once we get some little bits and pieces like that down, sometimes I'll, you know, I'll work on something for, for months or even years until I can get the structure between, say, the pre-chorus and the chorus to really pop the way I want it. But other times we'll we'll just swap things back and forth and, you know, just play together and jam on something and improvise and then it'll come together like that so you know each song is a little bit different i, I wish i had a magic formula if i did i would um <laughs> be be very rich maybe <laughs> right definitely uh so there's no magic there's no magic formula obviously but how you said even years i mean so how old is the oldest song on this album yeah. on opulent Decay? Well, sure yeah so uh don wanderer i think i started working on the earliest I was working on that. I was trying to pull it together actually for our, our last album, but I, I just, it wasn't quite making sense to me. I couldn't get the, the verse and the chorus to jive in the way I wanted to. So I ended up shifting the keys a little bit and changing a few things around. And it was like, man, I had that song, you know, I would just play it over and over and over thousands of times and try different things. And finally it just stuck out and came together how I wanted it to. And, and it was, it ended up being the last one that was actually finished for this new album. So, you know, I guess it was, just about five years in the process for that one wow that's that's super cool because i mean the lyrics there's only 12 lines of lyric but it it's so moving thank you it's 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 a powerful i think it's a powerful message you know especially you know all you all i have is what i give away you know it's like wow that it i really really appreciate it and and like it a lot so man thanks for your kind of words i I dig that song. <laughs> that there's some there's some on here that I think that a lot of people would be like, "Wow, really?" Because I really like uh, Atraxia as well. Oh yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, so it's just super cool stuff, man. I, I completely wow. Thanks, man. I got a bit of a story about that one. I was I was uh, I was traveling around in in Europe a few years ago, and uh, we were in Greece and. Um, uh, we were just kind of jumping between some cathedrals. You know, I always like to check out the huge, beautiful medieval cathedrals when I travel around. And I ended up hearing this uh, this kind of, you know, um, sacred choral chanting uh, in one of them. And I've always been a fan of that stuff. You know, I've got a bunch of Gregorian chant records. Um, I just, you know, I, I think this this type of music is, you know, designed to instill belief in God and people and, you know, kind of make people see the heavens. And, you know, you walk into the church and, you, and it's all designed to kind of reverb and echo just right. So to you know to create this overwhelming sort of spiritual experience, and I kind of think that for me anyhow, music has that same purpose in life. You know, it, I, I actually I, I believe that music is magic. It has the power to to change our realities in in ways that aren't really necessarily logical or rational. So yeah, you know, I heard that that chant um, in that church, and I immediately felt like I wanted to include something like that on a on a hard rock record. I just felt like the the, the mood fits so perfectly, and you know you can I, you can almost hear like the the, the the bell tower chiming in the distance, you know, and it, and I I'd, I'd never heard something quite like it done on a on a heavy metal record, so I I tried my hand at it when I got home. I think it came out pretty good. Very much, very very good. Do you have a favorite album or song that you have written? Oh gosh, um, I mean I always like to I always feel like an album should 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 be kind of a cohesive thing. I mean of course I, my favorite album that I've written is this new one. I think that each one of our albums I, I strongly believe has gotten better than the last one you know if, if, if they weren't getting better we'd be doing something wrong but uh you know the way i listen to music at home is just by putting on the the vinyl record and just listening to the whole thing i very rarely will just put on a specific song um you know and that's the way i've been doing it my whole life like the way the way i got into music i think all of us in the band got into music was by listening to records you know we used to be able to go down to the the music stores and pick out records from the like from the dollar bin or you know sometimes get them for a quarter and we just bring home you know, as many as we could afford. It didn't even really matter what it was, if the cover looked cool or maybe we'd recognize the names of one of the musicians from something else. 
And, uh, you know, back when we started collecting records, you know, we're not that old, but like 15 years ago, records were not cool like they are today. So we could, you know, go in and get all pretty much all the classic rock stuff. You know, you get all the Cream and Pink Floyd and Beatles and whatever else, all the Led Zeppelin records for, for a buck each. Yeah. And so we just put them on one after the other and just, you know, listen through all of them. And and uh, I just feel like that's the best way to, to appreciate an album. Uh, but if you had to make me pick my favorite song I've written right now, I, I would have to say Don Wanderer because it, you know, it just took me so long and so much thought went into it. And I was so happy when it finally did come together how I wanted it to. Definitely. And yeah, that's completely a thing I agree with too. It's like listening to an album. I'm in it for what, what I call the long haul. And yeah. is one of those deals where to me, you know, I, um, as we were talking about before we started the interview, I live in a pretty rural area. I live yeah. about between 30 minutes and 40 minutes from any like bigger city. Cool. So what I do is, you know, I can put on an album in the car and just start it and go, you know, and on average albums are about 40, 40 to 45 minutes. Yep. So I can, you know, listen to a lot of albums on a one way trip. So it's, yeah. it's a really, even on the digital age, it's nice to be able to do that. And it's nice to be able to listen to a cohesive thought like that. So in the writing process, I'm a musician, as I've stated countless times on the show. And I'm sure people, <laughs> I'm sure the uh, the local people in my area that listen to my show get tired of me saying. <laughs> They're like, yeah, Mark, we know. Um, we always do, you know, have had crazy names for working titles for songs. <laughs> yeah. Do you all have any crazy working title names? Oh, good question. Um, there's been some, like uh, on the last album, we had a song called River of Sleep, and and for 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 months I was calling it Deep Blue. Uh, I don't know why, it just felt like sort of a bluesy thing, and something was kind of deep about it. I don't know. The weirdest names, kind of like when I, whenever I am working on music, I'll just record it as like audio notes in my phone. Right. And. Um, That'll be kind of bizarre because I don't know if it's some sort of GPS thing on my phone or whatever, but it will it'll kind of automatically default to titling a song based on whatever is the nearest kind of like uh, uh, landmark that I'm near. Like sometimes it'll be like a store or a you know a community center or a park or whatever it is that I'm nearby. So if I'm you know kind of humming tunes to myself and I'm driving around or walking around or doing whatever, it'll be always associated with these landmarks. Right. So it kind of creates a weird sort of what do you call it like. Me- mental or like you know memory map of where I was when I was working on different things. Um, so often I'll give songs those titles just based on places that I where I was. That's it gets cool. kind of confusing. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine so because I you know I just recently discovered that about my uh, the new iOS on my iPhone does that, and oh, it's yeah. like Highway sixty three thirty five p.m. and it's like what <laughs> what yeah it's like what. Yeah. What was I doing there? And it's like, you know, I might have this little, like, hey, this might be a good riff. And it's yeah. Like, <laughs> so yeah, it's weird to think about the way the way the technology we use to help us, you know, create music, kind of informs the, you know, the way the songs end up, or you know, what the song, might, when the, what I, I might end up writing lyrics about, or you know, how, how it might come together. Definitely, and that's one of the things that I've meant, uh, I've gotten to talk about with a lot of different musicians from, you know other places because they don't not not every band is near itself anymore you might have a you might have a member that's in texas and a member in there's a band that's going to be on the show next week that they have one member in the united kingdom and one member in arizona wow (laughs) and it's like how do you guys do it and it's all digital and I've found out that they had never spoken to each other on the phone or on, they only texted each other. Wow. And I was like, wow. That's, that's different. Yeah. It was like totally cool. And I was like, dude, the first time they ever spoke to each other will be on the show. Wow. That's <laughs> like, wild. Yeah. And I was just like blown away by it. So that's a totally cool deal. Yeah. I mean, it's cool that you can do that sort of thing. You know, there's definitely, I'm sure countless great projects that wouldn't have happened otherwise if it wasn't for that. At the same time, for, for me personally, I, I do find a lot of value in, you know, being present with each other in the same room and, you know, hearing each other's amps feeding back and uh, just, you know, getting that energy from one another as you play and work on stuff. So we, we do, we, I mean, we, we try to get together as much as we can. And like when we record, we always do it analog, either completely or as much as absolutely possible. You know, we, we just like that feel of, you know, having things running through, 
you know tubes and and you know hand wired circuitry and and we, we we try I find the the computer things to be to be distracting at the best of times you know they're definitely necessary to an extent but I I try to get away from them whenever I'm able to understandable understandable with that now when you say you recorded anal- analog I mean is that amps and uh, recording equipment like did you yeah record, yeah did totally. you record a tape yeah we had the, we were working in this great studio Little Red Sounds and it's it's I mean, they they do some digital stuff, but but uh, they have an entire entirely analog setup. So you know, they've got this great mixing board from uh, from the I think it's from the early '80s that they got they they recently brought up from uh, from California or something like that. And they got the big tape reels and all you know all the offboard compressors, and it's it's pretty cool to to work with that kind of process. It it definitely takes it's not easy. Uh, you know, we, we we recorded everything live off the floor, all the bed tracks. So we just had to play that stuff you know dozens and dozens of times until we got it perfectly right because there's no you know there's no editing there's no i mean there's you know there's like overdub editing but there's no you know quantizing or beat mapping or pitch tuning or any of that bullshit you just we're just playing and i'm i'm pretty proud of that because i think <laughs> there's not so many bands that are doing that these days very much and yeah around where i'm at you know i'm around louisville kentucky area there's only a few places that still even offer tape recording and one of oh, yeah. them, and one of them you you have to really get with the guy and you might be looking at a year out before you can record because oh, well, he, he's yeah. on the road so much with you know doing live sound and stuff like that so it's wow. kind of, it's kind of difficult so i can completely completely dig that yeah i'm going to give a quick shout out to Felix Fung our producer at Little Red Sounds it's always great working with him we, we kind of uh, we we did the last album with him as well, and we kind of we have a great working relationship. It's it's almost like the you know they call it the fifth Beatle thing, where the producer kind of has has a bit of a hand in the pie and kind of you know helped us because you know, when you're when you're working on songs, especially when you're writing them for years and years, sometimes you get a little bit sort of too close to it, and it's it can be hard to tell it can be hard to get a perspective and tell kind of what the song needs, and you know, maybe you know maybe you're playing the pre-chorus too long, you need to cut it in half, and sometimes there's you know hard. Uh, Hard pills to swallow like that, and you need a good, honest producer who can tell you it straight. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, you know, and I think uh, he wasn't—he was only a uh, an engineer on the album, but I think he had more of an idea of it than their actual producer, and that was uh, Bruce Botnick for the Doors. You know, oh yeah, cool. I, I think he was definitely better at stuff like that than uh, Paul Rothschild was. So, so if you could have written a song or an album from anybody else, what would it be? Damn, good question. Um, it's hard not to say Revolver or Abbey Road, um, but heck, I mean, I would have loved to have written Seventh Son of a Seventh Son by Iron Maiden as well. I mean, damn, there's, I mean, or maybe Red by King Crimson. I don't know, man. We love music. We love so much stuff. Like people are keep asking me to choose, you know, my favorite album or favorite, my favorite song. There's, we've got, we've all got collections of thousands of records, and you know, my favorite song changes depending on what I've got on. I, maybe Heavy Horses by Jethro Tull, or maybe I'd, I'd love to say. The High Priestess of Soul by Nina Simone, although, God, I, I, I would never want to even attempt to sing something like that. <laughs> Definitely, and and that's the funny thing, too, is I saw the picture on Instagram where you all were jamming out some tunes and, and where you're holding the, the Heavy Horses album. And you're, oh, yeah. And like, yeah, that was totally good stuff. I was like, ah, it's Jethro Tull. I was going to... Yeah. <laughs> that's total, yes. I, I'm, I'm a huge uh, Jethro Tull fan when it comes oh, to Oh, cool. Such heavy lyrical content oh my god yeah yes. Ian Anderson's fantastic oh very much so what is the allure of music to you the allure of music I mean if, if I wasn't doing music I have no idea what I would be doing <laughs> it's not like we're making any money off it but you know it's what I think about constantly you know when I'm when I'm going to bed each night I've, I've got music running through my head either what I've been listening to or something I'm working on um, it just keeps me motivated to you know, like I'm excited to get up each morning because I know I can work on whatever song I'm working on, or, or you know, go play the next show or, or plan the next tour. Um, you know, I, I feel honestly, I feel incredibly lucky to have music because it, it, like, it really does just bring meaning to my life, and not to mention, you know, a platform to share my ideas and, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever beauty I can create or, or bring into this world, to be able to share that with other people is an incredible gift. And you know, and I like, I don't, I don't know where this where this stuff comes from. Like when I'm falling asleep and some musical idea pops into my head i feel like i've been given an enormous gift from you know from, i don't know from where from the muse or from from beyond like I, I feel like it's not coming from me it's coming from someone somewhere outside of myself somehow and i i feel lucky to be able to sort of channel it and 
and presented to the world. So yeah, it's, it's everything. It's interesting because I was actually going to say it's like you're being channeled to do it, and that's yeah. I think that's a that's a pretty common thing among a lot of musicians. They they feel channeled to do it like it's something that that that's always there. Yeah, I mean, I think if you if you're lucky enough to have to have art in your life, you know, if you're lucky enough to be able to, you know, put food on your on your table and have a roof over your head and you know not worry about that sort of stuff, and then you've got a bit of extra time to spend on an artistic pursuit, I think that's the end all be all. That's that's all I could ever hope for. So, what inspires you to write music? I know we've talked about the dreams and such like that, but is there any one specific? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, you were talking about the lyrics to Don Wanderer earlier. Um, thinking of that specifically, you know, I, I feel like I've I've seen so many people in my life who who you know, speaking of bringing meaning to your lives, who who, uh, who seem to only find their meaning sort of through adding more and more kind of comfort and ease to their own lives, and like, you know, they get a bit of money, so they buy you know go buy a bigger TV or you know get buy themselves a comfier couch or you know go on vacation just so they can sort of lie around and have someone feed them margaritas, you know. It's still relaxing, but but it, does that really bring any any meaning to your life? That's kind of what I'm like. If you can, if 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 your only goal in life is to take more and more for yourself and kind of get yourself a fancier car, get yourself a bigger house, get yourself nicer clothes, you know, get yourself better food, and then then when you die, it's like, you know, what 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 purpose does that all have? So, so I, I'm I'm always kind of trying to think of something beyond that. I, I feel like if I can offer something from myself to make someone else's life easier, or if I can you know help someone that has less than me. Or if I can, you know, through music or whatever else, bring a little bit of joy and beauty into someone else's life. For me, that's so much more meaningful. And then, you know, when, when it's all over, you feel like, you know, you, you actually did something beyond just yourself. So that's where I got the line from. All I have is what I give away. I just have to think on that for a second. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you bet. That's kind of, that's kind of uh, the theme that's going through this whole album. Like the difference between, you know, opulence, just, you know, how much you can, how much you can take and how much you can have. And then kind of the other side of that, like I've, I've seen people as well who, who live so much of their lives kind of in asceticism and they're kind of trying to go the absolute opposite route and have absolutely nothing and, you know, um, just li- live like a totally simple life devoid of, of pleasure and joy. But I feel like there's, there's, kind of, there's a balance, you know, that's not, for me anyhow, that's not a solution either. I feel like if you have, if you have nothing and you're not experiencing any pleasure yourself, then, then what do you really, you know, what can you, what can you give to anyone else? Right. I think there's kind of a balance somewhere. Very much. Do you listen to yourself musically in the regard of as a, of being a fan of what you do? Do I listen to myself musically? Well, I, I've always I, I've thought of that, and like I feel like I would really like to. I often think, you know, after I write a song, I often think, oh, you know, if I just heard this on the radio or whatever, would I would I think it was cool? But I feel like that's kind of one of the big, you know, kind of practical jokes of the whole thing is you never can. Once you write a song, you can never get that perspective back and hear that song kind of objectively right. again. So, <laughs> I, I, mean, I wonder about it often, but there's no—I don't think there's any way of telling. Definitely, yeah. It's it's sometimes I get people that say yes that they they've like detached themselves from it, but then huh, interesting. But then I get the people who are just like, you know, it's constant critique. Yeah. So. And no, I mean, I don't. I wouldn't say it's constant critique. Like, uh, you know, I definitely, I'm, I'm proud of the songs that I've written. You know, there's, there's that feeling when you, when you come up with a, you know, you write a, a you write a song, you write a, you come up with that chorus riff or whatever it is, and you're like, man, that's, that's cool, and you, you're just, you get a, just a chills all over your body, and you just want to play it over and over, and you just can't wait to share it. So, for me, that is the moment, the, the most important moment is right when you, right when you create it, right when it comes to you, and you, the first time you pick up your guitar and you play those notes. That's that's just the all powerful kind of like, you know, moment of godlike creation and and beauty and joy. <laughs> right on. So in the in the writing process with that, you you're the bass player and vocalist. Do you also write guitar riffs as well? Yeah, I write a lot of the guitar riffs. I mean, we all we all write um, some of the songs on this album. I think I I brought I kind of put together um, the, the the basic gist of. Um, seven of the 10 songs and uh, and then but you know then you know so I'll, I'll kind of make some recordings and hash out some ideas and then we'll then we'll all bring them together and you know everyone puts their spin on them someone might say hey maybe you know this part's in in a harmonic minor but let's play it in lydian or whatever just or maybe we you know take this riff and it's in four four but what if you add a beat onto the second part of it and make it 
you know, in composite time or whatever. Just these little things you can do to make things a little bit weirder and cooler and, uh, you know, bring a new idea in. I'm kind of fascinated by these uh, these sort of songwriting partnerships. Like, you know, you hear about the, the Lennon-McCartney or like the Simon and Garfunkel or whatever. And um, when I've done a bit of reading on those, I've, I've heard about stuff like like when, uh, when John Lennon would write a song, Paul McCartney would would oft, very often would write the I think they call it the eight bar, but I understand that to mean like the the pre-chorus or sort of the the part of the song that kind of I don't quite know how to say it like almost kind of makes it three dimensional. You know, if the whole song is in D or whatever, but then during the pre-chorus it drops down to A, and then that's and then when it goes back into the chorus, that's what makes the whole thing just kind of open up and explode out. You know, if the whole song plotted along in D, the chorus wouldn't have any more weight than the rest of it. Right. It would. So I I kind of dynamic. feel like when you bring yeah, no dynamics. So when you, but but when you're writing it, often for me anyhow, I find that it's so hard to kind of hear outside of the box that you've written yourself into. So when you get another person to come in and help you on it, they can often, you know, hear that little different thing that that really makes the song open up. So I think it's really important to, you know, to work on songs as a team. And I'm lucky to have a, you know, a, such a great relationship with my band that we can do that together. Absolutely, and you know, and I'm have always been a big fan of the three piece band. Yeah, you know, uh, I'm in one. You know, I've always, you know, Rush, Motorhead, Genesis. You know, I've yep. always been a fan of the uh, the Police, the three the three piece band stuff. Um, totally, because to me, it's like you. I think there's more of a unit to it than having either a one person doing all of the writing or b having you know just two people doing it. You know, because of what you said earlier, and I've always thought this was an interesting thing, is, you know, the Lennon-McCartney partnership or, you know, James and Lars and Metallica or uh, Gene and Paul in Kiss, you know, Simon and Garfunkel. It's always these duos that get together and do something and with occasional ideas from other members. With with three-piece bands, it seems like it's always all three of you. And that's yeah, that's yeah. super cool. No matter you know, and I've had a, a numerous amount of lineup changes with my band, and it's like we all three, no matter what, all come together and are able to write together. And I think that's super yeah. cool. Yeah, it's small enough that you can do that. And I, th- I think the other side of it is that you you can't just sort of you know force like there's no sort of forced majority in a three piece. So you kind of you have to all agree on something, or else it just isn't it isn't really going to fly. You know, like if you had like a five-piece band or something, three of them want to do it and the other two aren't so sure, but you can kind of just push it through. Right. But with the three-piece, you, you just, everything is, you're always a unit. You know, whether you're, whether you're on the road or deciding where to go for dinner or, or whether you're writing a song or in the studio making a decision, it, 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 it always kind of has to be a consensus. We have to, we just, we agree or it doesn't work. And it's one less seat somebody has to sit in, so the more gear can come <laughs> on the show, on the tour with us. Oh, exactly. <laughs> we all the gear we can. <laughs> Definitely. If you could have played a concert from, like any major concert from Days Gone Past, what would it be? Ooh, damn. Um, well, I was just watching some videos from the, the U.S. Festival. I think it was 1982 or something like that. I, I think it was famously the one where Van Halen got paid a million bucks to play, like, the worst concert they ever played. Oh, wow. Um, but, man, there's a, there's a uh, uh, the, the Judas Priest set from that night is, is, is so cool. And I'm pretty sure, unless I'm confused and thinking of something else, the Triumph set, the Canadian uh, Power Trio Triumph right. set from that night also is is unreasonably cool. Man, Rick Emmett is just oh, on the top of his game. Just he's like the my favorite, one of my favorite, very favorite singers and lead guitar players, and he does them both at the exact same time, just effortlessly. Wow! Uh, so I I would love to uh, to join the bill, join that bill with him. But that's a good, you know, no one's ever given me that. A lot of people have said Donningtons. Uh, somebody said Woodstock '99. I was talking about you. Yeah, the 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 fire episode. <laughs> yeah, but that's yeah. But that, nobody's ever given me the uh, U.S. Fest like that. That's cool. Huh, all right. Do you have a favorite city or venue you like to perform in? Ooh, um, gosh. I mean, probably my favorite show we've played was at uh, the Hellover Hamburg Festival in in Hamburg, Germany. Man, that venue was just it was just absolutely beautiful place. Um, you know, just just a nicely sized uh, hall with it, the sound was great everywhere we went. You know, we played the show and then we got to watch a bunch of really cool bands afterwards, and the energy was fantastic. I mean, we love playing everywhere we've played. Well, in Europe in particular, <laughs> we, we you know we love to, we always love touring. We have a good time everywhere we go. But that particular city, 
beautiful like medieval walled town great crowd great venue it was an absolute joy we can't wait to get back over there nice yeah hopefully everything uh gets back to right yeah and, no kidding and I, you know i just want to i just want to go to shows again and and yeah. have fun with people you know yeah man it's, it's a tough time to release an album because you know like like i said we've been working on this album for years and you know we really took our time to try to get everything right you know down to the album artwork and which you know, is which is outstanding, thing. by the way. Who's the artist? Oh, thank on you. That? Oh, yeah. It's it's. Uh, I'll tell you about that in, in a minute if yeah, you like. Definitely. But I mean, I mean, just you know, working for so long to release this album, and then the date finally comes around, and you know, we're in we're in COVID lockdown, and so you know, we we had a Europe tour which we had to cancel, and we had a West Coast tour which we had to cancel, and of course our album release party, and then to kind of to top it all off, pretty much every, half the world lost their jobs. So you know, it's it's hard to sell records. Definitely. <laughs> so. Um, you know, if you're speaking to anyone who's listening, if you're a supporter of music, please go out and, you know, whether it's us or your other favorite bands, please, uh, you know, support support musicians because it's, it's not an easy time to keep going and, and being a musician is not cheap. We uh, we pretty much emptied out all of our bank accounts recording this album and, you know, filming a couple of music videos and, you know, making some records. So, <laughs> you know, the assistance is appreciated. Very much. And um, which is uh, Spell Official dot bandcamp dot com. You can, That's right. Yeah, you can get everything there, even physical copies. So, Ooh, yeah. I think people should people should do that. Yeah. Well, um, I'll tell you about the uh, the cover art because I, yeah. I've got kind of a story about that. Um, we were looking for a long time trying to find just the right thing, and there's this this beautiful um, kind of one of those very mysterious ancient used bookstores in downtown Vancouver, and it's one of those places. You know, I'm kind of thinking of like you know Harry Potter or something because it's all just piled to the wall with ancient books, kind of in no obvious order and there's this old man with his spectacles down on the tip of his nose sitting behind his desk just completely piled high with books you know he might as well be writing with a feather quill pen well, i'm sure he's not but he you know and he just knows where everything is but then underneath this place they've got this this like dark basement um with just hundreds and hundreds of boxes and stacks of books and you can go down there and look around if you kind of get permission and so i, I just spent days down there just sort of rooting through stuff of course, you know, I'm interested in old books anyhow, but specifically I was looking for some inspiration for an album uh, cover. And uh, <clears throat> I flipped open this random book, and it was a collection of uh, data and surrealist paintings. And the first page I opened to was this this painting, which ended up being the cover, which is by Max Ernst, the German uh, surrealist. And I think it was painted in 1943 and 44. And I just, I, you know, I saw it, and I, I've been a fan of Max Ernst for a while, but I'd never seen this particular piece before, and I was just totally blown away and i was like this is it <laughs> and luckily i was able to license it from uh from his grandparents or you know whoever is the in control of the estate now wow um, and boy I'm, I'm sure glad we got it for the cover yeah it's i don't know what it is i don't know if it's what what speaks to me in it if it's the like the ruins underneath or the green with the with the 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 columns or the dark on the on the right hand side but it's super awesome and like wow I'm, yeah thanks man I, yeah, it's, it's kind of it's pretty abstract but it's kind of like this weird combination of you know, you can't quite tell if it's natural or if it's man-made right it, it's, there's something sort of you know surreal about it where it's like you feel like it you know it, it all these little elements are obviously kind of carefully done with intention but you just can't figure out what the meaning is <laughs> And it, yeah, exactly, because it looks like there's some bit of biological bits in like the rock almost, almost yeah, as if there's, almost some... there's faces and yeah. there are, you know, I see eyes and yeah. stuff like that. It's wow. It's uh, kind of like when you're out in the deep woods and you just, you know, you're looking around at the nature and you just, you, know, you kind of feel like you're being watched. You start seeing faces and arms in the trees and you can't quite tell and, what's and anatomy shapes, and yeah. what's nature and what's man-made and what is yeah what is your mind seeing yeah. there you know i like to do the kind of the generalist questions you know more about you yeah more about cam here. sure um do you have a favorite film favorite film boy um <clears throat> one that's coming to mind immediately is metropolis the uh, the german the german film i for some reason i can't recall off the top of my head who uh who's who the director is but it's it's black and white, and it's just uh, this incredibly bizarre film that sort of culminates in this fantastic, terrifying scene of this factory, um, and it's kind of you know right in the industrial era when when you know that was kind of the great progress and the great fear. And this factory 
kind of becomes this horrifying fire-breathing demon, which kind of like devours all the workers in this nightmare scene. And then this, these, you know, it's all it's a silent film, so you get this big word Moloch, which comes up in the demon's name as it kind of eats all the workers. Definitely. It's such a powerful, such a powerful scene. You know, that's interesting too because that was the the Metropolis robot was the the genesis for C-3PO. Really? I didn't know that. That's cool. George Lucas. uh, And it was uh, directed by Fritz Lang, I believe. Oh, yeah, I think that's right, yeah. Yeah. Do you have an ultimate jam? An ultimate jam, like 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 a favorite song, sort of thing. Yeah. What, do you, what do you mean? Yeah, something something that always finds its way back to your, I you know, I can't say CD player, right? <laughs> but your media. So one song that has that always comes to your record player, CD player, MP3 player, you know, song. Spotify. Yeah. Man, that is that's a tough one. Um, track. Um, I mean, you know, that's the thing, though. It's always changing. You know, like like when I was growing up, I was completely obsessed with with Maiden, and I still am. But I, I you know, I feel like my, I, I think you know, someone told me when I was growing up that uh, for most people, the music they end up listening to for their entire lives is the stuff that they liked when they were twenty. I think I heard that once, and I think when I heard that, it kind of it kind of terrified me <laughs> because I didn't want to be one of those, you know, one of those like, you know like out of date rock dads or whatever who's you know just listen to stuff from that's not relevant at all anymore so so i kind of intentionally made an effort to always expose myself to new music and to kind of force myself to get into it and you know whether it's new music as in like contemporary or new music as in something that's just new to me um so you know i still i still put maiden on all the time um but but uh, i'm always looking for new stuff like right now i've been really heavily into motown so i guess if i had to pick a jam that's always worming its way back in right now uh, and and has been for the last couple of years, I guess. I'd have to pick uh, Diana Ross, one of the one of the Motown hits. Like, uh, stop, let's, let's go with "Stop in the Name of Love." Nice. It's just man, it's just such an incredibly beautiful, succinct song. Like, there's there's not a single unnecessary note in it. Um, everything, like the whole band is playing like one complete unit. There, you know, you don't get players like that. I don't think really at all anymore because you know you don't you hardly have like studio session musicians that who spend all day every day like just hearing a new song and creating the ultimate groove for it so and that's like to me like a, a beautiful little time capsule of what i consider to be like a wonderful time in in music i i can agree with that actually i think the only when it really comes down to it the only real studio session musician taking taking out the um r&b hip-hop rap side of everything yeah because granted that's played live regardless is the uh the country music scene do you have a guilty pleasure musically oh i mean heck i, I don't really like to think of guilty pleasures like you know if it's a good song it's a good song you know we like you know, we, you know obviously we like you know like jazz and you know some music people would call pretentious but it's good to sometimes you just want to hear pop music too like i i, I really love one of my absolute very favorite bands actually is a, a band like the Ramones. You know, they just write these super simple, easy pop songs, and they're all like just in open E or A or whatever. But man, like they they they're they beautiful. They they really jam. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't think there's anything to be ashamed of. If you want to put on Lady, you know, I'll put on Lady Gaga sometimes. There's nothing wrong with that either. I agree. You like what you like. You should. Yeah. You know, it's the the artist that you know not necessarily ashamed to mention, but that. Um, to me, what the guilty pleasure is about it is like it's that surprise. Like you probably wouldn't think that a metalhead like I <laughs> like I am would listen to, you know, Beyonce. <laughs> right, right. But not yeah. saying that I do, but a lot of people, you know, I've had uh, uh, ABBA is a is a huge mention or um, ELO. Huge sure. Yeah. I mean, so those are I mean, those are great great musicians. I mean, you know, we, we I've been talking about Diana Ross and stuff. You mentioned Beyonce. I don't put her on a ton, but but Donna Summer, I'll definitely put on Donna Summer all the time. And I think uh, that's where Beyonce gets a lot of her inspiration. Yeah, definitely. I could I could go with that. Do you have a favorite food? Boy, a favorite food. Um, we're lucky in Vancouver to have you know, quite a lot of quite a big diversity in food. So we, you know. We can eat whatever we want, pretty much. But I mean, man, I love sushi. I love uh, Vietnamese pho. Pho. I'm not quite sure how to pronounce it actually, but it sure is good. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I guess if I if I had to pick a favorite, actually, right now I'm I'm thinking I love I love Greek food, like a nice big Greek 
like um, you know all the tzatziki and and that stuff. It's just delicious. Right, like a nice gyro, like nah, tear it up. <laughs> I, yeah, I've quite become. I, I really like lamb. I've noticed that. It's oh like, yeah, so good. And I could only imagine going to Greece and actually having traditional uh, Greek food. Yeah, I was lucky enough to, to be there, and man, was never good. Right. Uh, uh, I think we have a mutual friend on Facebook that had had a Greek vacation planned and had to have it cut short due to this virus issue. So, oh my god, yeah. yeah. But he was talking like, oh, so good. Like the food there is so amazing, and yeah, it's definitely a good one. Uh, do you have a Spinal Tap moment? <laughs> oh boy yeah you know we definitely have um we always we always joke about that when weird stuff happens to us on tour but now i'm trying to remember it on the spot i remember <laughs> being somewhere um frick, where was it uh we, we were somewhere and we got we legitimately got lost in the basement underneath the venue as we were trying to make our way to the stage and god i wish i could tell you where what my bandmates would remember it for sure they, wow. always, they have better memories than me both of them but it was like you know it, we were in one of these places it was kind of like almost like a uh like the, what, what do you call it? Like the steam room, like where the Freddy Krueger lives. The, the boiler room, thank you. Like yeah. We were expecting Freddy Krueger to come out at any moment. Uh, and we were just looking for the stage. <laughs> so, you know, stuff like that happens. Like Spinal I think Spinal Tap is, musicians love it because, you know, it, it's it's so accurate. Yeah. You know, it's, it's exaggerated whatever. a bit, but. <laughs> but, it, I mean, the exaggeration is this, the spontaneous combustion. Yeah. But like, you know, yeah, that stuff happens. You know, yeah. you get the reviews like, you know, well, if you shouldn't get those kind of reviews like they get, but, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> yeah, sometimes there's a critic that, that has that happen, you know, oh, and, for sure. and they give a shit sandwich review. Um, oh yeah, we've had those. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and you know, you can't find the stage or you, the pod is my, my biggest thing. Is like yeah. the pod never <laughs> opens, and you're just, and then it opens at the the last of the song. That's totally, yeah, totally it. And it's it's such a great metaphor because you know, in most cases, of course, it's not a big pod, but it's like you know, with the amount of gear you're relying on each night when you're on tour, there's always something like without fail every single night. There's something that goes wrong, right? And then you know, you're just desperately trying to fix it in like ten seconds with hundred people looking at you, or a thousand people, or ten thousand, or whatever. And uh, you know, if you're lucky, you can fix it. If not. You just sort of try to make do and pretend like nothing's wrong, and sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Like and, and you know, and whether and, you know, the, the spontaneous combustion is great too because like, there's always when you're living on the road, it's it's tough. Like there's always some sort of weird injury that you get. Like like we were on tour once, and you know, one of us like got started getting all these blisters, and then it's like you're trying to lift a bunch of gear up and down huge sets of stairs, and like run around a stage with these horrible blisters in your foot, and then you're like trying to rinse them off in the backstage bathroom after the show. And it's just kind of grotesque and comedic all at the same time. Oh yeah. So, <laughs> you, know, you know, it's always weird. Or, you know, ex, uh, not in the drug metaphor of extracurricular activity. But, <laughs> well, you there's know, always some of that. Well, there's that too, but like, <laughs> you know, and then you do, do you have the thing of like, Oh, well I can pick you up. Are you sure? And then they, you try it. And then the guy like filthy animal, you know, yeah. <laughs> was picked up by the guy and the guy just kind of dropped him and he dude broke his neck. Jesus. So, yeah. 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 So then they had to cancel tours and, and like James from Metallica, avid skateboarder kept breaking his ankles. So they had to postpone God. tours. So yeah, that's, yeah, that one's happened, happened to us for sure. <laughs> nah, it's like, Oh my gosh. You know? So it's like the spinal tap thing is a real thing. And a lot of people would think that oh, it's uh, it's a comedy. It's no, it it's real. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, when you're when you're driving around all day and like sleeping on people's floor, floors each night, and you know you hardly know what's you know you know your route, but you wake up each morning and you can barely figure out what city you're in. It's it's a bizarre existence. I mean, I wouldn't trade it for anything, but no. I always try to do as much of it as I can. But it sure is weird. Oh yeah, it's like where are we at tonight? It's uh, <laughs> Springton, no Springfield. <laughs> yeah, I mean it, it's like that. I get that. What is your greatest achievement as a musician? Well, I, I have to say, writing this album, uh, I mean, I'm extremely proud of it. I, I really feel like, we, you know, we took our time on it. Nothing was rushed. We're lucky to have a support from a, from a good label like Battleman Records. You know, they're not forcing us to push out something we're we're that we're not 100 percent satisfied with. You know, and we, you know, we 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 spent all of our money to get the recording as we wanted it in the studio, and we took our time. And you know, we didn't set a date to record it until we were confident that we had everything worked out just as we wanted it. 
So, you know, I was really feeling like, you know, once I could get this album out, then I would, you know, it's not like die happy because I still want to live and, you know, our next album is going to be even better. But, you know, I just feel so satisfied to have done it. When you have a journey, it culminates with something that you are so happy with, then yeah, definitely should be yeah. the greatest achievement at that point. Yeah, I mean, I just hope people will, you know, see see how much work we put into it and appreciate it. <laughs> Very much. So, here's the last question. All right. Of the of the interview, and people say it's the morbid question. Um, Lay it on me. If heaven or hell exists, what would you like to hear when you arrive where it is you think you're going? Ooh, interesting. You know, that's it's kind of like this question that I always just ask my friends, which is that if you're, like, imagine you're driving along, and then suddenly... You know, the road gives way beneath you and you're just kind of flying off the edge of a cliff. What song is playing? Kind of makes me think of that. Definitely. Um, and my, my, the answer I, would, I always used to give when I, when I, when I asked people that question was, how would be that name by Iron Maiden? You know, right when it kicks in. Um, so I think I'll stick with that. I mean, you know, right back to the roots. If I'm going to die, then I might as well uh, be dying with, you know, be, right be where I started. Yeah. Hallowed be thy name. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, love it. Uh, and I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's uh, probably the best answer I've had. Cool. Because we, you always get the, the, the cliche answers like, oh, I'm going to hell and Slayer's going to be playing. You know? <laughs> but yeah, Hallowed Be Thy Name is definitely, uh, it's one that speaks to me anyways. I, yeah, it's yeah. always been one of my very favorite tunes. It's the cardio song, that and rhyme. <laughs> yeah oh my put, God, put yeah, them no on kidding. you get a half hour of cardio in two songs <laughs> <laughs> yeah you bet for sure so tell everybody again how to get a hold of you guys to either promote book buy music yeah. buy merch how, how do you all get yeah it? you you bet so if you're if you're using instagram you can find us at spell official uh if you're on if you're on facebook you can find us at uh, facebook.com slash spell spell and if you use Bandcamp, which is great you can go to uh spellofficial.bandcamp.com and of course we're also on Spotify and I think you know Deezer and Apple Music and whatever else you got there um, but you know you can always email me as well it's just cammesmer uh, at gmail.com and I can uh, point you towards stuff um, and I think if you're going to uh, if you're going to finish up with uh, a song called The Iron Wind I'd like to tell a quick story about that if you don't mind absolutely go ahead yeah so I, I wanted to tell you this just because I thought it was kind of cool and I haven't uh, haven't really actually gotten to tell anyone about it yet but um, I came up with that with that song kind of in an interesting way. I was uh, I was walking through the forest, kind of in this rural area, um, uh, a little ways, you know, out from from the city. And I was trying to, I was kind of, I was a little bit lost, and so I was trying to kind of cut through, take the shortcut through this forest on this little dirt dirt road. And it was totally blackout, like the the moon was covered up, and I didn't really have any lights in there other than my my cell phone. And I was just kind of wandering around. It was muddy, and suddenly I, I came out into this big open area, like a kind of a big clearing, but it was pitch black and I could see all these giant, like enormous shapes looping, looming over me. And, uh, when I got a little closer, I realized there were these huge ships, like big boats and in, in kind of dry dock. And they're all, I don't know if you've, if you've been to like a, a dry dock, you've seen them. The boats look huge cause they're out of the water and their keels right. are so giant, but they're, they're kind of per, propped up by these like spindly little legs that just don't look anywhere near large enough to support these huge things. And it just feels like they're going to come like crashing down into you at any second. And so I was just wandering around through this place and uh, boats. And one of them I saw was called the iron wind. And I had never heard of anything like that before, but I just thought it was really beautiful. And uh, it kind of, it it really fit the the metaphor of the song for me, which is kind of like this, this force that pushes you forward, even when you're kind of doing things that are not necessarily in your best interest, but, but sort of for the benefit of those around you. Um, you know, just forcing you to kind of give, sacrifice yourself for for everyone else. So, uh, I you know, I, I wanted to share that because I thought it was such a strange way to come up with a name for a song. And I hope you guys enjoy the song. Cam, thank you. Thanks very much, Mark. It's been a joy talking to you. So here is The Iron Wind. <laughs>
Since 1973, Tattoo Charlie's has been an established body modification studio in Kentucky. Featuring world-renowned artists and piercers, currently with locations on Preston Highway and in Lexington. A staple point in the tattoo community. Learn more at TattooCharlie's.com. Set up your appointment today at 7904 Preston Highway. Our tattoos are done while you wait.